In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Today is the Feast of Pentecost, which is the birthday of the Holy Catholic Church. Just as the Israelites were constituted formally as a nation at Mount uh, Sinai with the promulgation of the Ten Commandments, and they received their various other prescriptions and laws there and were uh, turned from just a group of tribes into an actual nation, a people of God, the people of God, of the Old Covenant, so too the nascent church was constituted by the sending of the Holy Spirit into the hearts of the apostles and our Lord's disciples and the Blessed Virgin Mary on Pentecost as the new holy people, the holy chosen nation of God. The law of the Old Covenant was written in stone, and the law of the New Covenant is written on the hearts of the believers who receive the Holy Spirit into their very souls, into their hearts. He dwells therein, and he teaches us all things. He teaches the church, and he speaks to each of us by guiding us, by making us docile to the teachings of our Holy Mother, the Church, and by sanctifying our souls, which are his temple. So it is appropriate today for us to review our catechism regarding the Holy Catholic Church. It's a very salutary practice, even for adults, to refresh their memory on their basic catechism. And so today I've printed out some of the old catechism that you hopefully saw when you were younger, so we can meditate and contemplate this great mystery of the Church of our Divine Savior, Jesus Christ. First of all, before we enter the Catechism, what is the Church? We know that there are various definitions of the Church. The Church is the common wheel of all the faithful assembled on earth, the faithful of Jesus Christ. Um, We know that the Church is the mystical body of Christ. We know that the Church is constituted by the Church triumphant in heaven, the Church suffering in purgatory, and the Church militant here on earth. We know that The Church is Jesus Christ himself poured out and communicated. So there are various definitions that we can um, give to the Church, and they're all true, and they all reflect something of her essence. Um, But essentially, the Church is the Bride of Christ who continues his very work on earth, the work of teaching, governing, and sanctifying man, of applying the work of the redemption that Christ himself achieved on the cross, the church doesn't um, repeat the act of redemption in any other way except in the holy sacrifice. That's the unbloody offering of this very self-same sacrifice of the cross, but she doesn't, she renews that same sacrifice. So there's a unique sacrifice of the new Israel, and that is the sacrifice of the body and blood of Christ. But the Christ once and for all obtained the redemption for his church. But his church applies that redemption. She applies the graces of that redemption through time and space to the souls of her children, to the souls of the flock of the divine high shepherd, Jesus Christ. We know that the church has four marks. We've all heard this. The church is one, holy, catholic, and apostolic. A mark is something which differentiates and distinguishes um, something from something else. 
It's like a trademark. It, it distinguishes the article bearing it from all imitations of the same article. So this unity, this sanctity, this um, apostolicity, and this Catholicity help us to they verify that this is the one true Church of Christ. All the other um, counterfeit churches we see around us are, like our Lord said, they are wolves in sheep's clothing. They teach false doctrines which do not lead to life. They do not lead to salvation. Christ established one church by which all men are called to be saved. And this church is like the Ark of Noah was uh, in the early Old Testament. All who were on this Ark were saved from the flood, and those who were not on this Ark perished. And the same is to be held firmly. It's an article of the faith that outside of the Catholic Church, there is no salvation. However, the Church teaches that those who are in invincible ignorance, who don't realize that they are in error, she says they don't commit sin, and that leaves us some hope that they could also achieve salvation um, by belonging to the Church in voto, so by desire. They desire to belong to the church, even if they don't know it, an implicit desire to belong to the church. So we hope that this is possible, but it's certainly much more risky and dangerous, and therefore the church um, strives ardently and earnestly to bring all people, all souls, into her fold, under her mantle, so that she can bring them to heaven. Because if we don't no one who dies outside of a state of grace goes to heaven. And the church has all of the means necessary for man to achieve a state of grace and to achieve heaven. The sacraments, the seven sacraments, the teachings of the church. Um, without baptism, we can't reach heaven. And so we need at least a baptism of desire or a baptism of blood. Whether that baptism of desire be explicit, and we know it, uh, we know we want to be baptized or implicit where we have a docility to anything God would command us if we knew it. We can think of the natives of South America at the time of our Lord. If they lived upright lives, they believed in God, and they were ready to do whatever he told them, we can hope that they received a baptism of desire. But that's left in the merciful heart of our Lord, and he hasn't told us. The church doesn't condemn any group of people but she knows that outside of her there is no salvation, whence the urgency of her mission. But the, there's more than these four marks of one holy Catholic and apostolic for the Church. We, the Church has three attributes. These attributes are characteristics or qualities. They're perfections of the Church which enable her to have the four marks. The three attributes of the Church are authority, infallibility, and indefectibility. So authority, firstly, is, the Catechism tells us, the power which one person has over another so as to be able to justly exact obedience. Rulers have authority over their subjects, parents over their children, and teachers over their scholars. If someone doesn't have authority, then they cannot justly exact obedience. A robber who's armed can exact obedience at the point of a gun, but this is done through violence, not through justice. 
So the church possesses authority because God himself gave her authority. She doesn't get her authority from you. She doesn't get her authority from me. I participate in the authority of the church as a priest to a very small degree in this parish. But we are not, the Protestant heretics claim that the authority of their leaders is delegated from the bottom up. And this is false. All authority, all legitimate authority, comes from above, comes from God. And therefore, to disobey our lawful superiors is to disobey God himself. And hence, such disobedience, tells the Catechism, is always sinful. The authority of the Church is the power which the Pope and the bishops have as successors to the Apostles to teach and to govern the faithful. Nextly, we look at the infallibility of the Church. This means that the Church cannot err in her teaching on faith and morals. When the Church teaches in an infallible manner, meaning whether it's by her extraordinary magisterium, when the Pope teaches ex cathedra to the whole Church with the intention of binding them definitively on matters of faith and morals, he is infallible. Also, the ordinary and universal magisterium of the Church which is not something enacted at every word that's spoken by a given bishop or a given pope or a given theologian, but it is the constant teaching of the Catholic Church and all of her pastors across time and space. So from the beginning until now and into the future, that which they are unanimous on and which there's been a moral unity in the teaching on, that is ordinary and universal. Because universal doesn't just mean here and now. There were times in the church's history, like during the Arian heresy, when nearly every bishop, with the exception of perhaps St. Athanasius, held um, the Arian heresy, or at least seemingly held it, or flirted with it, or implicitly condoned it. And therefore, it's not about how many bishops currently hold a given opinion which makes it true. Because truth does not wait on the bishops to decide what it is, the bishops have to receive from the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, uh, the content of their teaching. The teaching doesn't depend on the bishops, but the bishops depend on teaching, which has a reality in itself, because God himself is truth. Therefore, we should never worry when we see certain bishops' conferences or certain uh, teachers in the church saying things which are false, or heretical or which are seemingly erroneous because these men have no authority to change the teaching of the church. They are not the masters or the proprietors of the deposit of faith, but they are its custodians. They are its guardians. And if they fail in their duty, that's to their detriment, but it doesn't change anything for you or me. We simply continue to make our active faith, saying, my God, I firmly believe that thou art three divine persons, in one God, that thy divine Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, became man and died for our sins. I believe these and all of the other sacred truths which thy holy Catholic Church believes and teaches and proposes to my belief, because thou hast revealed them who canst neither deceive nor be deceived. When we do this, we unite ourselves with all the communion of saints in the act of faith, which doesn't come from us. You don't make a different act of faith than me, because we're Catholic. Faith is something objective. It's adhesion of our minds to the objective truth revealed by God, and that truth doesn't change. 
The truth of the Lord remains forever, says the scriptures. So that's the infallibility of the church. We know the church cannot err because the Holy Spirit is the soul of the church. And our Lord promised that he would abide with the church forever. So if the, if the Holy Catholic Church fell into error, that would mean that the Holy Ghost had abandoned it and Christ has failed to keep his promise, and that's impossible. So we should be very sure of our Holy Church and confident that in everything that the Church teaches to us in an infallible manner is perfectly sound and not uh, erroneous whatsoever. The, the head of the church is Jesus Christ. He is the invisible head of the church in heaven. And then the visible head of the church is the vicar of Christ on earth, the Holy Father in Rome. And we owe the Holy Father in Rome our filial reverence and piety. We should revere him, we should pray for him, we should honor him, because he, is, he represents in this world Jesus Christ more than any other human being does. So if we dishonor him, then we dishonor the one whom he represents vicariously. The church is one because all of its members agree in one faith, are all in one communion, and are all under one head. This is why it's very important that we all be obedient to the hierarchy of the church, because the sin of schism separates us from the unity of the church's government. And this sin was very seriously punished in the Old Testament by the, in the sons of Korah who were set up at a different altar from the altar of um, Aaron and Moses, and they were uh, slain for this, showing that spiritually it's worth, it's deserving of eternal damnation. The church is one in government because we have the same pastors, we have the same bishops, and we have the same pope. It's a very uh, well-established hierarchy. And some of our pastors are going to be less adept and less adequate in their function than others, but that's not really, that's not very consequential. For you and me to get to heaven, we must simply know that we have to obey all that is not manifestly sinful, because we obey not man, but we obey God when we obey. The church is one in worship because all of the members of the church use the same uh, sacraments and offer the same sacrifice to worship Almighty God. And finally, the church is one in faith because we all agree on, we must all agree on uh, the content of the faith. So that's just a brief catechism. Uh, brush up on some good old-fashioned catechism, which I don't think can ever hurt us, especially on this beautiful feast day when we commemorate the Church's promulgation as the new people of God, the new nation that God chose to be his own, the Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. Um, I'd like to speak more about that, but time doesn't allow it, and I would like to just say a few words about some of what we're seeing around us in society, because it's very disturbing. I myself was almost surrounded by rioters yesterday when I had to go on a sick call downtown, and that was an interesting experience. But I think it's important for us as God's people, as temples of the Holy Spirit, and I evoked this in yesterday's sermon as well, to reflect the charity, the truth, and the love of that same Spirit 
and to be on our guard against temptation to enter into um, sort of false dichotomies where they don't exist, to fall into the traps and the deceits of the media. They're professionals at that. Uh, as, as citizens of the next life, as children of God, we should remember to keep our eyes fixed on what is above. And we don't have to always give an opinion on what goes on here below. It's, very, it's fine to be lucid on the lies and the various manipulations and so forth that take place around us and to pray for peace and justice, to pray for an end to this total abuse of rioting in the street and um, destroying people's property, also the abuse of police of their authority doing unjust things. But we don't have to enter into it and have... Certainly, we must not condone what's going on when we see police murdering people. And we also must not condone what we see when we see rioters murdering people, including police officers. We must not be overcome by evil, says St. Paul, but overcome evil with good. We should simply always fight for what is good and not enter into this frenzy. It really reeks of diabolical action when we see massive movements of a hateful, violent nature destroying property and lives uh, filled with hatred. That's not a fruit of the Holy Ghost. So that's something that we must pray that, it, that peace is restored, that justice is restored where, where it has uh, fallen. But we mustn't commit sins of rash judgment and assume that because there are some bad police, for example, that all police are worthy of the death penalty, for example. That would be a sin of rash judgment. And we mustn't go vandalizing stores or approve of those who do because we say, well, they're angry and upset. Well, because you're angry and upset, you have to get a hold of yourself. Unless you're a toddler, then you're expected to live like an adult in society and be responsible, not to in inflict your rage on other people or their property. That's a grave sin. And the fact that you're angry and upset does not justify looting and killing and pillaging and attacking the police. So let's pray for the police today. Let's pray also that they do their duty well and not abuse the God-given authority that they have, like some of them clearly have. But the fact that some have doesn't mean all have. Just because some priests have gravely abused their authority doesn't mean we abolish the priesthood and we kill all the priests. The same goes for the police. They are deserving of our gratitude and of our prayers and our respect. That's a good Catholic way to look at it. And those who they abuse are deserving of our just sympathy and we even peaceful protest if need be, but never fighting sin with sin. That's not Catholic. I forgot to make the announcements at the beginning of this homily, so I'll do that now. Canon Avis and I wish you all a very holy and happy Feast of Pentecost. In the Diocese of Pittsburgh, the public celebration of Holy Mass will begin tomorrow. Because of the restrictions on the number of people in the church this week, Monday through Saturday morning, with a limit of 25 persons in the church, we will have Mass um, at 5 and 7 p.m., Monday to Friday, and Saturday at 8 and 10, so that's with 25 persons maximum, and 5 and 7 p.m. from Monday to Friday, beginning tomorrow, and at 8 and 10 on Saturday morning.
If you wish to come to any of these masses, please call the church office from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. That's when the secretaries are there, and they're the ones in charge of doing the sign-ups. If you call me, I don't have access to the sign-ups. They've done a very excellent job in order to keep it all in one place and organized. There are people taking care of that, so please call. There's also a registration online now for Sunday Masses. You can see it on the Facebook page. Um, You can sign up for those. The live streaming options during this time, beginning tomorrow, are as follows. There will be a 6.30 a.m. live-streamed Mass from the Institute's Apostolate in Waterbury. There is a 9 a.m. live-streamed Mass from Chicago, the headquarters. There's a 1 p.m. live-streamed Mass from Milwaukee. And there is a 3 p.m. live-streamed Mass from San Jose, California. So there will be no live-stream from Precious Blood as of tomorrow, because Ken and Edith and I will both be offering multiple Masses per day up at the church, and there's no Wi-Fi up there. And so, as a priest, has a limit under canon law on how many Masses he's permitted to offer. We're prioritizing people physically present, as our Savior intended, and we knowing that you have other options online. So please be understanding and merciful. We have a very big parish, a lot of converts and First Holy Communicants, and therefore we're limited in everything we can do. But we do appreciate your prayers, and we do know that there are these four Masses available, so you won't be left without any recourse. You can still get live-streamed Masses just out from the house chapel here. Starting next Sunday, the limit of persons will be 25% capacity of the church building with social distancing. Masses will be, starting next Sunday, 8 a.m., 11 a.m., and 5 p.m. If you would like to attend Mass on that day, please use the sign-up tool on our parish website that I mentioned earlier. And it's a little bit confusing, but you sign up for a Mass you're hoping to go to within the deadline, because I think the cutoff is Wednesday to sign up for this coming Sunday, so that we have time to make sure there are not too many people. And then we contact you to let you know if you were able to, if there's space. And if there's not space, then you get pushed to the next available Mass. You get priority. So we're trying to be as just as possible with a very imperfect situation. It's not easy for us either to handle all of these uh, various things, but we're doing our best. We'll call you by Thursday or Friday to let you know. Hopefully there will be spots for everybody. If you would like to attend, um, so... The live streaming options for next Sunday are as follows. There are 9 a.m. Masses from several of our different apostolates. There is an 11 a.m. Mass from Milwaukee, a 12.30 p.m. Mass from Chicago, and a 1 p.m. Mass from San Jose, California. And you can find all of that on the Institute's United States webpage. If you Google search Institute of Christ the King, you will be able to find it. Also, on June 5th and June 6th, which are the first Friday and the first Saturday of the month, there will be the rite of the distribution of Holy Communion at noon in the church. So because we are still in Paschal Tide until the end of this week, you can come and make your Paschal duty, receive our Lord's body and blood during the Easter season. There's also confession available um, every day this week if you need it. 
Um, that will simply be distribution of communion at noon in the church on June 5th and 6th. Since there's only 25 people allowed in the church at that point, everybody else will wait outside and groups of 25 will go in, receive Holy Communion, leave, make their Thanksgiving in their cars, allowing other people to go in so that everyone can receive this blessed sacrament that I know you all have longed for for so long. This is a temporary schedule, and as the restrictions change and hopefully lighten, I think they will, the mass schedule and this procedure will also change and hopefully just go back to normal in time. But Canavis and I really and sincerely appreciate your patience with this uh, during this time. We're doing, uh, we know this is complicated and it's not fun, but we're doing our best, and we're doing our best for your souls, so please pray for us, and let's all um, rejoice that we have the opportunity as of tomorrow to assist in person at the holy sacrifice of the new law and worship God as he intended when he established this holy sacrifice. Once again, receive Holy Communion, the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Confession, the schedule for confession has been altered as well for the coming uh, time. So instead of doing it as we've been doing it from 11 to 11.30 and and 5 to 5.30, we're going to be doing it an hour before each Mass. So this coming week, there's a 7 p.m. Mass, so we'll do 6 p.m. to 6.30, and that takes place in our garage, because we're not yet allowed to use the confessional. It's in the garage. And then from 4 to 4.30, and I think we may also have a morning slot that is maintained, but I have to verify it's not on the sheet counter meeting. But there will be plenty of time to go to confession this week. And then next week with the Sunday Masses and the Saturday Mass, we'll have confession 7 to 7.30 on Saturday and um, um, 9 to 9.30, because that's an hour for those Masses. And then on uh, Sunday, we'll have it at 4 to 4.30, 10 to 10.30, and 7 to 7.30 before all of those Masses. Be patient with the ushers who will have to usher you in as we get used to all of these rules. Um, We just have to exercise patience. May God grant you an abundance of his Holy Spirit on this Feast of Pentecost. May he give you his peace, his divine charity, and his love, and may that love and charity and grace remain with you always. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.